So you've heard of the state in the in the Union uh, named Florida. Yeah, I'm aware. You're aware of the state. Yes, um, I've heard of Florida. So weird things happen in Florida. I've also heard that. I don't know if it's um, people drinking salt water or um, rabies from alligator bites. Maybe it's it's proximity to the Bermuda Triangle. Could be that. Um, so recently, usually these stories start with a Florida man. Sure. Right? This week, it's a Florida mayor. So the mayor of, of uh, Port Ritchie, Florida was arrested this week for uh, attempted murder when SWAT agents tried to arrest him for illegally practicing medicine. Okay, okay. <laughs> Please read that sentence again. Sure. Uh, mayor Dale Massad of Port Ritchie, Florida, has been charged with attempted murder after uh, shooting at a Pasco County SWAT team. Don't shoot at them. Um, they were there to arrest him for unlicensed medical practice. So the dude's pretending to be a doctor, which I guess happens a lot in Florida. And, sure. Uh, especially in South Florida. And then he tried to shoot at a SWAT, at SWAT officer. Yeah. If there is one law enforcement you don't shoot at in the United States of America, it's the guys that are designed <laughs> to handle that. The guys who, in their name, it's like violent, right? Like SWAT, right? Uh, but also, why was SWAT trying to arrest um, the crooked doctor? Like the doctor, the dude practicing without a medical eye. Shouldn't that just be regular old sheriff? Like, I, dep- send the deputy over? Right? I feel like that just would require, like, an investigator to go over and be like, Mr. Mayor, there's a thing going down and you got to come with us. Yeah, or show up at, like... The city council meeting, right? And, like, embarrass him a little bit. Of course. Uh, okay, but here's the deal. Like, the incident that he's arrested for, for illegally practicing medicine, sure. is removing a fish hook from someone in 2017. What? Get out of town. And then later, a year later, giving that person a uh, cortisone shot. Um, it, I, have to, I feel like removing a fish hook is like your wednesday and friday morning routine in florida there's just fish hooks everywhere <laughs> you're stepping on them you're getting them in it's the cereal just, it's the neighborly thing to do right well if someone came to me if like i'm in a parking lot somewhere and someone else would be like i got a fish hook in my mouth like i'm sorry i am not a licensed doctor i cannot my license you, expired i cannot i cannot treat you right now I, I would transport you to the nearest hospital but i do not have an ambulance driver's license i'm not certified to ambulance you um so i guess one reason why they sent swat if you read later on in the story um is he was a known drug user as, as all good Florida mayors are. So the guy's a mayor, and, um, and he's a known drug user, as in people know he's doing cocaine and stuff? Sure. I don't know what, what? type of drugs, but yeah. Um, well, if it was weed, they'd just like come with a bag of Funyuns to distract him, and he'd be fine. <laughs> so I'm sure it was something stronger than weed. So he was a known drug user, and the authorities um, were pretty sure that he had guns inside. Yeah, okay. And so so I guess there was some reason for sending SWAT. Um but the story doesn't end here, David. Really? They rarely do in Florida. Of course not. So this happened about a month ago. Okay. Okay. Um, 20 days later, his replacement was arrested <laughs> um, on charges stemming from the prior mayor's arrest. So he was uh, he's charged on obstruction of justice, uh, conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice, using a two-way communication device. To facilitate the commission oh, of a crime. Oh, I, I thought it was just using a two-way communication <laughs> device, and that was the crime. I was like, that's a crime in Florida? So, Port Ritchie, Florida is down two mayors in the past 30 days uh, because they're both arrested. I say it 
you know you have these like towns in Vermont that elect the the local like dog to be mayor. Yeah, the local like, stray dog. At yeah. this point, Port Ritchie, I think I think we go. Um, let's go with an invertebrate, right? I mean, they can't mess it up that bad, right? You get a what is a snake in it? No, a snake has vertebrae. What what's an invertebrate? I was just th- I was just trying to sound smart. Throw some a amphibian spider. out there. Maybe a poisonous frog can't be any worse. All right. Well, I, I think I could win an election for mayor of this town with just a slogan, David Henderson, I will not get arrested. Actually, I think that's probably going to work against you. I think I feel like they, this... They only elect people I feel like, will get arrested. I feel like you have to be the known drug user, hoarding guns, and practicing medicine illegally. That's like the bar to entry for mayor of Port Ritchie, Florida. Makes sense. Another day in Florida. Florida man. Florida's so weird. <laughs> this is subjectively correct sports. Florida edition. No, we're we're still in Texas. Okay. And I, I don't want to talk about Florida the entire time. This is a sport. This is a sports show, and if we talked about Florida sports for an entire hour, yeah. we would lose all of our audience either to sleep or they would just turn us off forever. Unsubscribe so fast. Okay. Wait, audience. What's that? That's like when people listen. So I guess uh, we would lose an audience, as in a person. Sure. Or fan. Shout out fan. This is Subjectively Correct Sports, the only show in the universe uh, where two guys are podcasting about sports and stuff. My favorite thing is Florida Mare. We should have yeah. a segment called Florida Mare. Emphasis today on the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be Less on stuff. the sports and yeah, more on there the will stuff. Be lots of stuff. Uh, check us out uh, at YouTube if we ever get that up and running again. YouTube.com. Yes. New website where you start. Sure. Email us at subjectivelycorrect at gmail.com. We love hearing suggestions about stories you want to hear, things like that. Also, if you haven't, leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and uh, share our website with your friends and family. Get the, get the subjectively correct name out there. Speaking of getting names out there, I forgot what we were doing first. What were we doing first? Uh, NCAA March Madness. So the, the this crazy time. Yeah, the words I was going for, like get the name out there, would be like the names of the teams. Oh, so getting them out there on your brackets. That's yes. what I was gonna say. Ah, but then my brain fill hit a in speed bump. Your brackets. Yeah, hit a speed bump there in my. What brain. are we up to? 66? 68, 68. teams. Sixty-eight. So you get one playing for every region. Exactly. Yeah. So it's playing games, and uh, what? So so basically, the sixteen in each bracket. Yeah. Plays the seventeen. Yeah, and that's the playing okay. game, right? Uh, it just makes sense to me that they'd keep expanding because there are more and more Division One schools. There are more and more people, people getting will, and people right? will watch exactly. And they'll do the same thing with football eventually. Yeah, eventually they'll keep expanding that. The out. only reason I'd ever tune in to watch St. Mary's play uh, 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 Quinnipiac, yes, would be because it's March Madness and because I randomly picked one of those two to advance in my bracket. Quinnipiac, right? They do polls. I don't know. Are they at college? Sure. I just like saying Quinnipiac. Binghamton. <laughs> Binghamton? Led by their guard. I don't know. Some white guy name. Yes. I don't know. So Duke's going to win, right? Yeah. I don't know. Talent usually does better in... A- Talent usually overcomes team play in NBA basketball. Yeah. So you get down to playoff basketball in the NBA. Usually the team with the most talent wins. The rosters shrink a little bit in that the rotations get a little tighter because teams aren't asked to play back-to-back. But what happens in NCAA is the opposite. Like the conference tournament, I watched the ACC uh, 
game, uh, ACC tournament game between UNC and Duke. Mm-hmm. It was really exciting. It was a really close game. Zion Williamson with a tip-in at the end of the game to go up by one. Really exciting game. That was the third time they played each other this season. Yep. Let's make it a fourth, right? Because I think if they were to meet in the tournament, it would be in the final. UNC's in the Midwest region. Duke's in the East. I think they're on opposite sides of the yeah. bracket. Uh, so your four number one seeds are Duke, UNC, Gonzaga, UVA. Right. And what drives me crazy about NCAA basketball is it's all set up so that the coaches get to shine. Because you don't get, like in the NBA, you don't play back-to-back, so the better players are out there more often. But in the NCAA and in the the ACC tournament, like I was talking about, Duke had to play three days in a row. They, They beat someone to be able to play North Carolina in the semifinal, then they played Virginia the next night. And when you're doing that, your best players are more tired. You have to rotate in more players and things like that. And so the coaches are the ones that are emphasized. In a sport where the coaches are already have all the power, where the coaches are already making all the money, we're just emphasizing the coaches even more. So it's not like the best players get to win the NCAA tournament often. It's the best coaches who just happen to be the best deeper recruiters and who make the best adjustments and things like that. I mean, that's fine. Well, but I would prefer yeah. to see the better players being rewarded for being the best players. But as we all know, that's not what the NCAA is all about. And, I mean, often these better coaches are better coaches because they're better recruiters, right? Because yep. they have the talent. There, there are some coaches that are regarded as, like, actually really good coaches, like a Tom Izzo, right, who Michigan State. Now, this is actually something I was thinking about. Like, you take a Michigan State or you take a Villanova. Like, these are really good schools. They're always in the tournament. They're always making noise in the tournament. They'll win once or twice a decade a school like this maybe maybe a couple more times even um versus a kentucky a duke unc even uh where you have the one and done talent right and so so you have these schools that are i guess you call more of a blue collar school right like i don't know you're still you're still recruiting elite players but more of your players are staying into their second third sometimes even fourth season um and maybe they're not NBA talent, whereas like all the freshmen or the majority of the freshmen at Duke are entering the NBA draft this year, right? And so if you're a coach and you have the option of taking three or four really good but not top 20 players in the country every year and adding them to your team and knowing they're going to stick around multiple years, you may get every once in a while someone who just shines their freshman year and decides to opt out um, versus a Duke, a Kentucky, a Kansas, where it's every year you have seven, eight new players and um, you know, you're know you having to learn these new personalities, uh, maybe even adjust your system a little bit to cater to, to their talents. So if you were in that position, which way would you which would you prefer? So I think I would have to coach for a little while to see what kind of yeah. coach I would be like. If I if I love the challenge of putting together a new group and a new personnel grouping and a new way to coach each year, the one and done would be great because yeah. those one and done players are, are usually the most talent. Well, they're the most talented, the most NBA ready, so they get the most media attention and the most people that come to see. Like Zion Williamson brought in more money for Duke University than tuition did this year. Yeah, and, and and the fourteen year old who's going to be top of his class is looking at you know when he graduates, he's looking at Zion Williamson this year. I want to follow in his footsteps. Exactly. Not. His literal footsteps, not in Nike, not in the Paul Georges. Uh, he was wearing Nike when he won the ACC tournament and won the MVP. So I don't know, whatever. Water under the bridge there. Water under the giant six foot eight, two hundred eighty pound bridge or whatever that is. Meet your new Under Armour athlete. We'll see. It'll be an interesting thing. He wore all Adidas in an Instagram post a little yeah, while ago. So He's smart, man. Uh, so 
it depends on the type of challenge the coach enjoys, right? So if the coach sure. feels like he's really good at, at doing those adjustments, like Coach K is great at that at Duke, of bringing in whatever talent he has and making it work. I mean, he made great adjustments in the North Carolina game that I watched in the ACC tournament where UNC had him by like 14 in the first 10 minutes. And then they came back and they won. Yeah. Largely because guys that didn't see a lot of minutes throughout the year were all of a sudden getting meaningful minutes because Coach K saw an adjustment he needed to make. So Coach K is a great example of having one-and-done players won't affect him too much because he's such a great coach. How great has uh, his professional life been over the last 10, 15 years? I mean, coaching, you go from having like number one classes every other year to coaching the USA Olympic team, like you're always coaching the best players in the world. That has to be a good feeling. Yeah. To know every night, like Alabama football, every night you go to the stadium knowing that you have the best player at just about every position. I mean, that's got to be a great feeling. Yeah. And that's that's been his life. That's got to be great. But if, if you're the kind of coach that likes to like mold people over time and like take time to get to know players and things like that, I think having the three-year player, the four-year players mm-hmm. would be better for you. But I think that all depends on the coach you have. And I don't know what coach I would be. I think I would be more of the coach who would like to kind of get to know players over time and get to mold yeah. them to my system and create a system over two or three years of seeing a group of guys playing together. I think I would be better yeah. suited for that. So that's what and, I would want. And if, if, you're, if you're a Coach K... If you're a Duke type program, you come into every year thinking I have a legitimate shot at winning the whole thing. Yeah, right. Always. Whereas, let's go back to the Thomas of Michigan State. He's probably seen like an every three year plan, right? He's going to get a really great class, but he's got to build that class up. When those guys are sophomores, juniors, maybe even seniors, they're going to be. They'll have played together long enough, and they're talented enough um, to actually make some noise in the tournament. But um, I think. I'd probably go for the talent. You want the talent? Yeah, just because um, I feel like you're always, if you're always having the talent and you're always relevant, then you're always going to keep having the talent, right? And so I guess maybe that says a little bit about me where I want my job to be easier. I don't well, know. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want their job <laughs> right? to be easier? Yeah. But I just think, like, because I think that's a challenge in and of itself, right? Like, people, you know, there's the Phil Jackson debate, like, how good of a coach was he? He had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Kobe and Shaq, right? Like... Who wouldn't win championships with that group? But Luke other coaches, <laughs> other coaches tried and did it right, and so he had something where you know his system wasn't groundbreaking. It was a triangle, which isn't compared to you know today's standards, isn't like super complicated. Um, Doesn't look like a triangle, <laughs> and the triangle has never really proven to work successfully in the absence of a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Yeah, so. so you know, whether or not it was his tactics or his just ability to get people to buy in, right? Which is a, a, a skill set that every great coach needs is well, that buy-in. Well, Steve Kerr is great at that too. Like he was he was given this amazing group of players, but then he got them to buy into the system. He got them to work hard on defense and yeah. do these things. So I don't think you could give Steve Kerr like an up-and-coming team, like a young, talented roster. I don't think you can give him the same that, that kind of thing and he would generate something special. I think... <laughs> If it, but if he goes to like the Bucks, for example, who have an established superstar and have some decent players around him, I think Steve Kerr can make something special happen there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he could go to a team like the Nets. Who he couldn't like, go to the Suns. And, no, it, it makes yeah. something special. So, he was actually at the Suns. Their GM. Remember right? that? Yeah. I don't forget actually, that. Actually, no. I don't. That's like his like only professional failure, right, is the GM of the Suns. Yeah. You know, he did trade for Shaq. Who, well, that was at the end of the at career. At the time, though. yeah. The that, big cactus. <laughs> Did people call him that? I think something like that. He's the big everything. He's the big everything, yeah. So, all right, sticking with 
All right, so I mean, I think everyone, if you're if you watch ESPN, then you're indoctrinated with Duke's going to win this whole thing, right? Because they're just they get all the coverage, right? And, and really, the, they get the all the Yankees. coverage because Zion is there. Yeah, right? they're the Yankees of college basketball too. When the when the, they're good, when the when when the Dukes, when Duke is good, it's like when the Yankees are good. They get more media, they get more attention, and then everyone gets more attention. Yeah. So um, I don't know if they're going to win. I think they you know they're the overall number one for a reason. They're favored. Um, it's but hard that, to win. It's hard to win six games in a row. Yeah, and that's not interesting to me. I don't really care. Like. I don't care who wins the NCAA tournament, but I do care about the NCAA tournament mascot bracket. What? So I took the four top seeds of each region. Okay. Because I didn't want to do 68 teams. Sure. And um, I think we need to have a little mascot challenge bracket warfare. Okay. We're going to debate mascots? Yes. All right. That's on brand. In the East region. Okay. Duke, Virginia Tech, Michigan State, LSU. Their mascots, respectively, the Blue Devils. Okay. Hokie Bird. The Virgin, Virginia Tech Hokie Bird. The they just call them the Hokies. Mi- <laughs> I didn't even know it was a bird. Michigan State Spartans Ooh. and the LSU Tigers. Oh. Okay. So I looked up what Blue Devils are. French military group. Oh. Uh, end of World War One, like this elite French battalion squad. At the end of World War One, yes. What so they did have in guns. World War Two. Uh, they were the slightly grayer devils. No, I don't know. <laughs> that was an age joke. <laughs> yes, they were. They were older. <laughs> no, they wore like these blue coats and and blue tinged pants, and they were called the Blue Devils because they were so feared. Oh, All right. Okay, Hokey Birds. It's a chicken. Get out of town. Okay, so so who's emerging out of the east between? We're gonna set the hokey birds aside. So the elite military it's elite unit military group versus Spartans. The okay, okay, okay. But I mean, I think you have to take into account modern warfare and weaponry. I don't, you know, for so, range. So, okay, okay. So the way we're doing this is we're just fighting. We're putting these four. It's people, battle royale. It's a battle royale. It's a battle royale. Uh, in the east, you've got elite fighting force from France. France is probably gonna take them down a notch. Uh, you've got a chicken. You've got <laughs> a Spartan. Sparty. And you've got a tiger. Okay, well, uh, if it's just one on one, I gotta take the tiger. Yeah, I am. Um, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take Spartan. Why? Because I feel like they, from birth, are bred to fight. This is what they do. Okay, they're going and and they have the numbers. Okay, there are so many Spartans. They're going to surround the one tiger. Okay, well, I didn't know we were doing it that way. <laughs> I thought it was my one game. Spartan. Uh, it's I, my I, rules. Clearly, I, I didn't know it was one Spartan. Ver- I thought it was one Spartan versus one tiger. What's your final vote? Tiger. Okay, I'm going Spartan. Spartan wins. All right. In the West region. Rigged. Gonzaga Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Florida State Seminoles. Uh-huh. Michigan State. I'm sorry. Michigan Wolverines. Woo. Texas Tech. And they have two listed official mascots, the Masked Rider and the Raider Red. Uh, like a color? Like dude on horseback. Okay. And he's a Western pirate, like a cowboy, an outlaw. Whatever. Right. Cool. Um, Bulldogs, they're not fearsome like most people think. These are not pit bulls. But did you know why they're called Bulldogs? No. See, our mascot in high school were the Bulldogs. Yes. So our football coaches would tell us this story before football games. We were usually the underdog, pun intended. And 
he said you got to be tough like a bulldog. And yeah. bulldogs were bred in Spain to fight bulls, literally. Mm-hmm. And the way they would beat the bulls is, you know that ring that was on the bull's nose? Yes. Well, the bulldog was bred in such a way that it would clamp its jaws onto that ring. Yes. So it would maneuver itself around and maybe take a few hits so they were sturdy and then latch onto that nose ring, right? Okay. And the bull would, would thrash back and forth and back and forth and try to throw the bull off. And if the bulldog could hold on long enough for the bull to have the, the nose ring rip itself out of it, like force the nose ring to rip itself in the nostrils, the bull would then bleed to death. Oh my! And the bulldog would win. And so bulldogs, bulldogs would actually fight bulls, full-size bulls, and win sometimes. So bulldogs, a lot tougher than people give them credit for. And I think they're pretty cool. Also, if you rub their belly, they'll fall asleep. So they done. Seminoles. Thanks for that history lesson, though. Sure. Very interesting and gross. Uh, Seminoles. So they're a... Uh, the Native American, Native American tribe, tribe Florida, right? and they held off uh, what uh, invasion of their lands for a long time, and uh, you know they were adept at fighting, especially in their terrain. Uh, you have the Wolverines, which uh, Wolverine was <laughs> so the Mich- Michigan. I looked this up. They introduced the Wolverine after um, like playing the Badgers, Michigan, Wisconsin Badgers, and like, oh, they have a Badger. We're getting Wolverines. Because wolverines are, but but they they miscalculated how ferocious an actual wolverine was. They had like yeah. some imported from Alaska, mm. and they used to bring them, and like someone would carry them to the game until it started <laughs> attacking like the students. Well, yeah, uh, this is like in the 1920s before people knew stuff about animals, and so <laughs> Google was not invented yet. Um, so wolverines, very ferocious beast. And then you've got dude on a cowboy or cowboy on a horse. Get that out of here. I've seen videos of honey badgers, which are Wolverine's cousins, like face down a lion. Okay, what's your vote? Wolverine. Yes, Wolverine's correct answer. South region. Cavalier. So dude on a horse with a sword. Sure. Lots of those. A wild cat. Whoa, it's wild. Yes. Uh, Volunteers. They they chose to be there. Uh Uh-huh. Also, it's... The volunteer state, Tennessee, right? It's about volunteering to go to war, right? And so they typically have a gun. Okay. Because they're going to war. So there's a gun situation. And then the Boilermakers, the Purdue Boilermakers. Okay, I'm sure you did your research on this one. What that? They uh, literally... So, okay. So, Purdue, it's in the Midwest. Sure. And when they used to beat up on teams in football, like way back when, early 1900s, the news reports... Because they didn't have like a way to describe them because they didn't have a nickname, right? They'd be like, these burly corn huskers, these corn chuckers, these burly... like furniture makers they just like throw around some weird, weird adjectives to describe and eventually like boiler makers like caught on like like the boiler room you know like you create these huge furnaces engines like things that power locomotives so i mean we're talking about like strapping young men is what they were getting at like these husky dudes sure give me okay. the cats no a bobcat is super small but it's, it's like wild. 40 pounds but it's wild uh i'll give it to you okay we'll go with wildcat He's going to lose. Uh, and then in the Midwest region, UNC Tar Heels. Dope. The Kansas Jayhawks. The Kentucky Wildcats. More Wildcats? And the Houston Cougars. Ooh, Cougars, huh? So, hmm. I looked it up. A Cougar is like four times bigger than a Wildcat. Okay, so, so the Wildcat, wildcat is like a Bobcat. Right. A Jayhawk's a bird, right? Well, a Jayhawk, their mascot is a bird, but what a real Jayhawk is, is a, a gorilla insurrectionist. Uh, pro-free state fighting the pro-slave state in the, uh, what? 
18 mid 1800s so it's it's a it's it's a gorilla fighter in the mid 1800s yes okay and uh, not gorilla like monkey but gorilla like some people would say they employed shady tactics to uh there was a a period called bleeding kansas right yeah and so um all's fair in love and war man yeah and um they were the pro freedom pro uh anti-slavery agenda which is why i think the nicknames probably stuck around but now a jayhawk just means like a kansan right um, so I'm going to say it means a suburban 60-year-old woman in Kansas, since it's just any Kansan. And uh, I'm going to go in a Tar Heel, just a dude has tar on his heel. What does that do? I'm going with the Cougars. Cougars, yep. Okay, south we have a Wildcat versus the Midwest, a Cougar. We already established Cougar beats a Wildcat. Sure. Cougars moving on to the final. In the east? Wolverine. No. No, Spartan. west is Wolverine. West is Wolverine, East is Spartan. Between a Wolverine and a Spartan, I'll go Wolverine. I was thinking that too. Hugh Jackman is ripped. He is. I'm going Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And then a Wolverine versus a Cougar? Wolverine, man. It's if, Wolverine. If, if, if it's the, Wolverine every If the time. Wolverine's cousin could like scare a lion away, yeah. the king of the jungle, you got to say it's going to be the Cougar. Yeah. Also, comes from Alaska. Right. Yeah. And so, if you can survive in Alaska in the wild without electricity, you can take on anything. Right. Okay. Cougars have a good. Congratulations, down here, Michigan! You have won the mascot bracket challenge for 2019. Um, our analysis is subjective. It may change next year when you are last place. Yeah. That was really good. the return of one of my favorite segments, Objectively Correct Sports, where we bring you stats that are objective. Everything we talk about on the show, well, generally everything we talk about on the show, it, generally everything, for the most part, what we say is subjective. Most of the time, 100%. How much percent? 100 Okay. 100 So we bring you some stats that are objective, that we find interesting, or that are telling about a situation. So you have five stats. Yes. I have five stats. Yeah. I'll get them started. Tonight... Dirk Nowitzki passed Wilt Chamberlain, giving him the sixth most points in NBA history. He's played 21 seasons in the NBA. LeBron has played 16 seasons and is ahead of Dirk by over 1,000 points. Oh, that's just good. Only two of the top 10 scorers in Division One are in the NCAA tournament. Marquette's Marcus Howard and Murray State's John Morant. They play each other in the first round. <laughs> James Harden's offensive numbers are crazy. He leads the league in points per game and three-pointers made. His defense, however, is an NBA punchline. But this year, he is tied with Paul George with an NBA best 2.2 steals per game. Duke is shooting 30.2% from the three-point line of the season. No good. Which ranks last among major conference teams and 339th in Division I. No team with a three-point percentage that low has ever reached the Final Four. None of them have had Zion. <laughs> Joe Harris, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets, that's why you've never heard of him. Yeah, have he? Wait, is he not the uh, three-point champion? Yep. Okay. He leads the league with a very good 46.3% from three. Oh, my goodness. That's still 6% behind Steve Kerr and Tim Legler's best years and 7% behind the best three-point percentage year ever. Kyle Korver in the 2009-2010 season put up an amazing 53.6%. Wow. Ben Simmons won Rookie of the Year last season with the free throw percentage of 56%. Oh, 
Russell Westbrook has 27 triple-doubles this season. No. Fourth most in a season in NBA history. He is three shy of becoming the only player with at least 30 triple-doubles in multiple seasons in NBA history. Nice. That's impressive. LeBron is getting old, right? Yeah. He leads the league with five and a half fast break points per game. And a bonus stat, on a bad shooting team, he leads all forwards with eight assists per game. He is not the problem in L.A. Between November 1990 and June 1998, the Bulls never lost more than two games in a row while Michael Jordan was playing. Barry Bonds took the extra base, which means he moved up more than one base on a single and more than two on a double, 43% of the time. That's a higher percentage than Ichiro freaking Suzuki, who still has a chooch, by the way. He's named after a motorcycle. His arm's gonna hit that thing's a chooch. In a loss last month to the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies, the Lakers bench combined for more fouls than points. The six players coming off the bench combined for seven points and ten fouls. That is the Lakers season in a stat. That made me so happy. <laughs> that stat made me so happy. And I'm like a Laker hater, but that is hilarious. This is a season you just have to laugh off. We're in tank mode. Lakers are in tank mode. You gotta be. You accept where you are. This was never going to be a championship season. My favorite thing about this season is Tank LeBron is better than every forward in the league. (laughs) Tank LeBron is outplaying just about everybody. And he's tanking. I mean, he probably could have come back sooner from injury. He probably could have pushed a little harder at certain points of the season or whatever. So he he knows it's kind of a lost cause season. Mm -hmm. And yet he's still outperforming just about every player in the league. What will be interesting is to see, because the, the, the front office took a very unique approach to constructing this roster this offseason. You can say that again. Um, but they were all on one-year deals, right? So, yeah, they weren't, they weren't meant, this wasn't a long-term no. plan. They, they, this was very short-term, but it was leading to something. So you almost wonder if they were just experimenting, like, we know this year doesn't really matter because we only, only got LeBron, right, in quotes. And we're hoping, expecting to get, uh, to pair him with another free agent superstar next offseason. And so we've seen how he plays when surrounded by shooters, right? That works very well. Let's see how he plays when surrounded by non-shooters, by players who like to have the ball in their hand and maybe can create a little bit better than some of those shooters. Um, And I think at least um, if you're judging on the first three quarters of the season, it's not worked out so well. Granted, there have been numerous injuries to key players on the Lakers, so you haven't seen the full roster, healthy, really, you know, gelling. But um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a, a reverse course and about face on, on the roster construction. I think what, what the Lakers are falling trapped to, what they're falling into, is trying to be like everyone else in the league. So you look at like the Warriors and the Rockets. Well, Rockets kind of the exception, but the Warriors especially started this new trend where movement off the ball is more important than who has the ball. Mm-hmm. So Steph Curry may have the ball, but then you're worried about Klay Thompson, one of the best shooters ever, and Kevin Durant coming off a screen, screening for each other. You have to deal with that headache. And I feel like the Lakers are trying to mimic that where your best player doesn't need the ball all the time. But... Your best player is LeBron James, and he's at his best when he has the ball. Yeah. Like, James Harden's usage rate is way high. He, that means he has the ball just about every possession for most of the possession. And when you watch the game, that's what he does. He pounds the rock, he pounds the rock, he pounds the rock. He steps back three times and he shoots it. 
and then he makes it, and he wins the game for you. But LeBron plays the best when he's got the ball in his hand, and that's why every single important playoff game down the stretch, for the last 10 minutes of the game in the fourth quarter, who's bringing the ball up the floor? LeBron James. And so the Lakers are asking him to change the way he's played his entire career, and it's not going to pay dividends. You know? Is that the uh, the the shrug emoji? That's uh, yeah. You just gave you just gave that know. podcast audience the shrug emoji. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to right. say. I want to fast forward to July first. Don't we all? That would be great. As a teacher, <laughs> I'm for that. So, did you watch Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo go at it? I did catch some of that game. Yeah. That was really good game. And what was cool about that yeah. game is it's it, it's the future of the big man that we're seeing. Yeah, well, in the future of the East, too. Those two teams are young, Yep. right? They're going to be playing, uh, you know, next five, six years. And, and who had that, right? Right, now, yeah. When you think about the powerhouse teams in the East, no one thinks about Milwaukee and Philadelphia. We think about the Pacers, the Heat, the the Bulls, the, I don't know, the Celtics. We think about those teams. Yeah. But now we're like the Raptors, the, yeah. the Bucks, the 76ers. Yeah, and speaking of the Raptors, everyone's kind of forgetting about the Raptors. Sleeping on them. Right, and they're the only team that has a player who's actually done this before, right? Who's actually won and won a Finals MVP. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's give Sam Hinkie his due, right? Former uh, GM, president of basketball operations, I think whatever his title was with the 76ers, he put in in place the process, right? And the the mantra was trust the process, and the process was let's be as bad as we can. Uh, and accumulate enough yeah. top draft picks. Basically, tank for multiple seasons. Yeah, tank for multiple seasons. Bump up our our uh, our our assets. Trade away players for more draft picks. And it's all coming together now that you have you know because they drafted some people that just did not pan out, right? Yes. Yep. Okafor did not pan out. Markel Fultz is the latest example. Markel Fultz did not pan out, but they hit on two of them and hit. Really, I mean. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, just those two alone make you competitive in the East. Yep. And the thing with basketball is you get one or two star players. So you hit really well on two out of 10 NBA Mm -hmm. drafts and you hit really well, like you just said. And lucky for them, it just happened to be within like two years of each other. You're going to have a good basketball team for a long time. Yeah. In football, it doesn't work that way because you need to draft 11 great players or whatever. You know what I mean? It doesn't happen as easily in baseball or in football. But yeah. the individual player, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, talking about base, basketball and how it's so much different when it comes to being a GM of that that sport. They, they made a lot of mistakes in their drafting. They really did. But you don't need to be 100%. You need to be like 10% on yeah. number one draft picks because you get those two that are just going to be but, your franchise for years. I think about this sometimes, and I hate to always bring it back to the Lakers, but the Lakers for uh, three years in a row had the number two pick. Okay, And I think their selections were okay, uh, but they could have been a lot better. Right, so D'Angelo Russell, like he's had, he's an All Star this year. So I mean, it's not like he's a horrible player, but he's an All Star on a different team. He did right. not work out for the Lakers. They could have drafted that year, Kristaps Porzingis, the unicorn. That would have been a gamble because he was no in no way a sure thing. Like those European players, for every one that works, you have ten that don't. Okay, but and all of them end up, all of them, and all of them end up here in Dallas. <laughs> That's right. All right, so they could have had Kristaps Porzingis. Brandon Ingram's year, he was the clear number two. Like everyone I, I had him number two behind Ben Simmons. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think back to that draft. I'm, no one's coming to mind right away who, who you would have taken over him. And I think he's shown flashes that he maybe is deserving of that pick. We'll see. 
Lonzo Ball, I love Lonzo, love what he does for the Lakers when he's on the court, but the best ability is availability. If you're not on the court, you can't help your team, okay? True. He's been injured almost half of his NBA career. I hope this is a fluke and he has a healthy career the rest of the year and, and uh, the rest of his career and and maybe he he proves that he was worth the number 2 pick, but could have had Spider Mitchell. Right? I love that. Could have had yeah. Jason Tatum. Donovan Mitchell is an amazing player. They could have had Tatum as well. Yeah, Tatum mm. went three. No, yes, Tatum went three. So you could have had Kristaps and Tatum. You could have had Kristaps and, and Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell. Um, again, I think Lonzo could very well be worth that number two pick. But it just, 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 go, just goes to show, like, just because you have those high draft picks doesn't mean it's going to pan out. And so uh, good on the 76ers for taking a chance on Embiid, who was injured when they drafted him, and you didn't know if he was going to go the way of Greg Oden. Um, and good on them for taking Ben Simmons. I think everyone thought he'd be the number one pick, but everyone knew he had shooting issues. Hasn't really uh, affected his... It's limited his effectiveness slightly, but he's still a very impactful player. His field goal percentage and his true shooting percentage are the same (laughs) because he doesn't shoot (laughs) three-pointers. That's hilarious. If you know basketball (laughs) analytics, that should make you laugh. That's hilarious. Uh, All right, well, hey, I didn't think we'd talk this much basketball today. No, I didn't either. I mean, it's... We got, like a, we got like a we got a month left of the season. It's getting down to the stretch. the The, the West season. the West is going to beat each other up. Like we talked about this all season, the West is going to beat each other up, and it's going to be a bloodbath to get to the eighth spot. Mm-hmm. But the eighth best team in the West is probably better than the fourth best team in the East, right? So, I mean, the team the good teams in the East, um, we thought were going to be the Celtics for sure, but they're kind of struggling to gel and stuff like that. Who knows what Kyrie's going to do? The Raptors are good, 76ers, the Bucks. Nothing than that, I mean... You got the Pacers who play well, but when it comes time for playoff time and you have your stars playing 40-plus minutes a night, can they keep it up? I don't know. And Oladipo hasn't been the same since he got injured. Is he even back? I don't know. No, I don't I think he's out for it's, the year. It's hard to be the same if you're not even playing. Yeah. Well, the best ability is the what? Availability. Yeah. Well, you know that kid in high school that was just always there? Okay. He didn't necessarily want him there. He was available all the time. All I've said is... Was that the best ability? Among the... Okay. You can have every great ability, but if you don't have availability, it profiteth you nothing. Nice. So if you're thinking about, hey, I didn't have a guy like that in my group of friends in high school. You were that guy. You You were the guy that was always available. Look in the mirror. Yeah. So, um... Somewhat related to sports, mostly college athletics, tangentially related, is um, apparently... I always think you, of tarantulas when, you, when people say tra- tangentially. related. <laughs> I think of spiders. Eight degrees, eight, eight legs of separation. Ooh. Um, Kevin Bacon. So apparently you can buy your way, your kid's way into college. <gasps> what? I had no idea this has been happening so in our wait, country. Are you saying wealthy people take advantage of the system using their money? Surprisingly, yes. Why is this surprising anybody? Uh, no, so, I mean, last week you had news break that there was this uh, multi-year investigation that brought down some Hollywood elites and and powerful business people across the country. Aunt Becky from Full House. Aunt, wholesome Aunt Becky is a crook. Criminal. Um, My favorite thing I've seen about this whole thing is there's like an 18-minute clip of Full House where Becky... Lori Laughlin, who is now in big trouble for this scandal or whatever, for doing the same thing that wealthy people have done since the beginning of time. But anyway, she's lecturing Jesse, 
the parent of their twins, for lying in their preschool application. That's great. The uh, Would you say the big house got more full? Got some full in a big house? Because the big house is the jail, right? Yes, big house is the jail, and full house is the name of the show. I get you now. Okay. Their house looked really small. I don't know if all the houses in San Francisco are this way, or they just want you to think that. You have that. to build up. You can't yeah, build up. Yeah, you gotta out. build up. But it's, like, really narrow, and then, like, really long, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's right, okay. definitely a segment of housing that's like that, for sure. Just, like, one segment? Because growing up, I thought that's how every house in San Francisco was. It was on a hill, and it was skinny, and it was narrow. I think there's a lot of houses that fit that description. Yes. Um, okay. So, what do these people do? Well, in addition to, like, making payments to universities or coaches... Bribes. Bribes uh, to get their kids in. They also paid uh, this other guy. And all the, most of this was done through this, this one guy. I don't even remember his name. But he set up, like, this kind of fake charity that was supposed to help underprivileged youth. And um, this guy would... He, had, like, control the testing center... Uh, so you could have your kids SATs doctored. He would or help taken by someone else. Or taken by someone else. Um, he would he would um, like the Florida falsify uh, details in the application, saying like, you know, oh, there's this is what I count where this kid he, he's like at USC, right? It's like admit weekend, so he's going to he's like, oh, I got into USC, cool. He goes with his dad. He has no idea his dad is like falsified. Um, his application, details of his application. Some some um, uh, recruiter, uh, person who, who was hosting the, the admits, came up to him and was like, oh, so you're the track athlete. And this kid never participated in track. He was like, no, what are you talking about? And the dad, like, stepped in and changed the conversation. But, like, in the application, you look, and it's like... <laughs> it's like, <laughs> the dad, da, 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 hey, what's that? Da, 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 Squirrel. Da, 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 da. But no, the, da- the, the dad... That was with, a USC fight song. The dad with this guy who was falsifying these records put that the son was, like, the third best pole vaulter in the state of California. There's got to be a way to check that. Yeah, I think I think those results are posted somewhere. I mean, my, my, uh, my students are middle school track athletes can go to a website the day after their track meet to see their times and their yeah. and their scores and stuff. Yeah, and so you had people like photoshopping their kids' heads on these athletes. That's my favorite. <laughs> like my favorite story from this might be the the water polo kid yeah. who didn't play water polo but had a picture taken of him like looking like the dad bought water polo gear on Amazon. Yeah. And then like a week later they took pictures but the guy had to tell him, like, okay, no, he's way too high out of the water. Go back and take it again. Put him lower down in the water. So he paid some guy to Photoshop his son lower in the water so that he could look like a, a water polo player. Yeah. And, and so here's here's my take on this thing. Like, I'm actually not, I'm not outraged that parents are paying money to universities to get their kids admitted. Okay. It's been going I, on since the beginning of time. If... If a university is private, okay, I, this is a different discussion for a state school, okay? But if a university is private, a USC, a Harvard, a Stanford, wh- whatever, they're a private institution, my feeling is they should set whatever criteria they feel is best uh, when, when reviewing applications for admission. And if part of the criteria is, hey, if your parent donated a million dollars to the university, uh, you get in. Right. If that's part of the criteria that that private university wants to uh, implement, great. If it's a bad policy, it will come back to bite them over time. Okay, and they will adjust their policies. Um, 
what I what I will, won't tolerate and what I don't condone is when you actually falsify records, right? When you submit a fake SAT score or you have someone take the SAT for you and the person reviewing your application um, thinks what they're reviewing is actually your accomplishments. Right. That's that's where it's not a gray line, but it's a completely you know black and white, and that's that's wrong. Right. So being, I actually teach underprivileged kids. Yeah. And so when I see my students who are already don't have access to the same resources that the very wealthy do, and then they have to compete to get into the best universities in this unfair way, that drives me crazy. So I have I have a student who is in like the ninety sixth percentile for reading which is amazing. That's incredible, right? But if she goes and takes the ACT and does really well, but then another student has it faked Mm -hmm. and some graduate student at that school gets paid to take the ACT in some other person's name and she doesn't get in or doesn't get a scholarship because of this fraud, that just breaks my heart. And that's the part that I can't stand. I mean, it it doesn't surprise me that wealthy people are using their money to take advantage of the system. That doesn't surprise me at all. But... I actually work with kids that are being hurt by this. Right. And that is the thing that, that bothers me the most. And and just like you, not surprised if well, the university is being upfront and saying, you're in because your parents were naming the library after your mom, so you definitely can come in. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, thing. these legacy admits, right? Like, right. my this hall is named after my great-grandfather because he donated $10 million like 80 years ago, right? And... Because of my last name, because of my connections, I'm in and everyone knows that, right? And, you know, I probably had to have some base level of education, right? right? Educational accomplishment. But it wasn't it wasn't an even playing field between me and, and some dude from Nebraska who had no connection to the university, right? Right. And, but in my opinion, that's okay if it's transparent and the university decides that it's in the best interest of the school to admit these types of people. Right. And the thing that, another thing that bothers me a lot about the situation is people are like, okay, well, that's good. It was exposed and it's over. This is just one ring. Yeah. This this is one guy. One, one guy. guy's operation. So this is, I'm sure it goes on at every university all over the country. And it makes me feel very uncomfortable to encourage my underprivileged kids to work hard and go to a university if this is what they're competing against. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and well, to say that as an educator who believes in the educational system, it breaks my heart to feel like some of you won't get into a good school because you don't have connections, even though you deserve it. And and I hate feeling that way, but I do after seeing this scandal. Yeah, and there's and there's the, the students who would otherwise merit entry, but that, st- that slot was taken by, by one of these other kids. Um, but on an educational level, but also on an athletic level, you have right. some of these assistant coaches. Stanford's head sailing coach uh, pleaded guilty to 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 um, involvement in this in this uh, scheme, and you have uh, assistant soccer coaches in all kinds of different sports saying they took bribes. They like directly took money um, to guarantee a spot on the team that they knew this kid would never actually take. Right? You guarantee admission. And with the like promise that yeah they're gonna come as play as a walk on or something right it, it it would help their admission it would get you talk to someone in the admissions office and say hey we really want this kid to try out for the team or to be on the team you know admit them and you know the strings would be pulled this person would be admitted and they'd never show up to any practice and and good thing because they probably didn't have any skill right, right. <laughs> they probably, they wouldn't have been able to compete on the team right. but but someone else could have. 
right? Someone else who dedicated their life to soccer and did well in school could have had that spot at that elite university, uh, and they were denied that opportunity. So it's a shame, and, and shame on those people who were involved. Absolutely. Like, tip of the iceberg. I'm sure this goes on all over the country, and it breaks my heart. All right, David, silly season continues for at least one more segment. Okay. Um, Down with silly season. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we did a Guinness segment, Guinness sure. World Records, and I had you guess the uh, world record that succeeded, the one that was in process of being verified, and the one that failed, and you knocked it out of the park. I did. You were three for three. I very bonded it. I have six oh, no. Guinness World Record attempts. Oh, no. Three were successful. Okay. Three were not. Okay, so three yeses, three noes. Hit me with them. I got this. I'm going to provide you some very limited details okay. about them. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, world Guinness World Record for the biggest human shamrock display. That is Guinness World Record attempt number one. So people gathering together in the shape of a shamrock. So either attempted and succeeded or attempted and failed. None of these are like in... That's right. Media. It's either success or okay, failure. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Number two. The world's largest firework shell. So one singular firework. The biggest one ever attempted. Where did this take place? Uh, I think in New York. Hmm. The longest pie recitation. So 3.14, blah, 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 blah. We just had pie day on March 14th, right? Did you get pie? Uh, we went to go get a pizza pie at Blaze Pizza. Shout out LeBron. Uh, because it was $3.14 for a pizza. And uh, the line was out the door and we went to a biscuit place instead. Pizza pie doesn't count anyway. Carry on. Okay. Uh, so the longest pie recitation. Okay. Okay. Uh, world's largest video game collection. Is that mm. a success or a failure? Mm. I will say this on that one. It, because it would seem obvious, right, that, well, you would know, right? You would know if you have the biggest collection or not. Let's just say it took the, it took two Guinness, uh, certifiers two days to determine if the world's largest video game collection was a success or failure. Okay. Bee dress. So a man attempts to wear the most bees ever. <laughs> the highest poundage of bees on a human body. Is that is this a large man? Not particularly, no. Okay. And then a human kilt race. The most participants in a kilt race. Shout out to my fatherland. People wearing kilts. Hendersons are Scots, man. Slap in the face to the Irish this week. That's right. Okay, so recap. Human Shamrock, World's Largest Firework Shell, Pie Recitation, World's Largest Video Game Collection, Bee Dress, and Kilt Race. Human Shamrock. No. World's Largest Firework Shell. I gotta take notes. Okay. No. World's lar Largest Firework Shell. No. Pie Recitation. Yes. World's Largest Video Game Collection. Yes. Bee Dress. Yes. Kilt Race. No. All right, let's go to the stories. In New York State this week, 
1,200 people donned green and formed themselves into the shape of a shamrock, setting a Guinness World Record. They wore green ponchos in the shape of a three-leaf clover. Dang it. First of all, why not go the four-leaf? I was just thinking that. You know? They, they failed there, though. So uh, they, I, I think I won that one. <laughs> they, no. broke it on, they broke it on St. Patrick's Day. They had to hold the formation for five minutes. They did it. Whoever comes up with these rules. So stupid. <laughs> they broke the previous attempt of 815 people. It's a little overkill. You could have had 816 people. Which was set in Ireland. So the Irish lost this record on St. Patrick's Day. So you're 0 for 1 right now, David. That's right. I wish you better luck. The Irish are 0 for future. 1 too, which is worse for them, I think. World's largest fireworks shell. You said no. World record firework attempt failed. Yes. All right, this was going to be a massive firework. It was 62 inches wide. Whoa. Which is what? Five, five feet. feet, two inches yeah. wide. It was 2,500 pounds. Whoa. And that was the size of the Thin Man. That was the size of the first atomic bomb It's that essentially dropped. a car. Oh my gosh. And um, a heavy car. And if you watch the video, it makes a massive explosion, really cool firework display, never gets off the ground. Oh, so that's the way and it the, failed. And the rule was it had to be in the air. Hmm. And so uh, it took these guys, I read it was, two of them were between four and six years of planning. Four and six years. And they just said, uh, there's no data to tell us how much explosive to put underneath 2,500 pounds to get it sufficiently up in the air to You can't to do some explode. math? You can't do some math? In 1969, we landed people on the moon. Apparently. But we can't determine how much rocket fuel to put underneath a big bomb? In Come the, on, people. In the process of this project, the, the, the men um, put together a 60-page book of engineering designs, which are probably not great because it didn't work. Dude, you need one design up just go up i feel like i really feel like the nasa like nasa's looking at these people like you could have come to us we could have done this in two minutes like we do this every day you are one for two david yes pie recitation i said yes you said yes and the answer is no let's read the letter from guinness world records dear michael oh thank you for your letter of january 7th 2019 we are always eager to hear of new world record attempts. Unfortunately, however, your claim to have memorized pi to two decimal places falls some distance short of the current record, and we will not be sending a member of our records management team to evaluate it. Furthermore, pi is not equal to 3.11, so this error would automatically invalidate your record attempt regardless. <laughs> My favorite part of this is this dude on Twitter calls himself Sir Michael. <laughs> he tweeted his rejection letter uh, with the caption, received some very disappointing news today. This was obviously a troll, but it was so good. <laughs> if you troll well enough to get Guinness to respond to you, you're trolling well. Yeah. All right. So you are one, four, three at this point. That's not good. World's largest video game collection. You said, yes, it was successful. The answer is... I'm guessing no. Successful! Man yeah. sets Guinness World Record for largest video game collection. Do you want to hazard a guess as to how many titles he had? 4,500. You would be about five times under. Whoa, it's like 20,000 20,193 video oh games. Oh my god. Different video games. Or could he have the same title multiple times? 
Oh, wow. This is a great question, and uh, I ha don't have the answer. Although I do know many of them are unopened, just because he hasn't had time to play all of them. I imagine. I don't have time to play the two games I have. <laughs> and some are extremely rare, um, valued at over $500 or $700 a piece. Does that say Hotel Mario? Uh, that I'm looks like Hotel Mario. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he said he spent several several hundred thousand dollars on this collection and has a very loving and patient wife. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising that there is a wife in the equation. <laughs> oh. But she would have to be very patient and loving. She might be into it too. She might love ripping she out Hotel Mario every once in a while. Love playing a different video game for the rest of her life. Every, every day for the rest every of Every day. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You are two, four, four. Fifty percent. Fitting. B-dress. Did a man wear the most bees ever? Give me yes. Give me yes. No. Aww. Fully dressed in bees, Saudi man fails his Guinness World Record attempt. Come on. Uh, so Zuhair Amin Fatani said his love for bees and ability to deal with the insects drove him to break, attempt to break a Guinness World Record, covering himself by bees weighing more than 63.7 kilograms, which is the current register world record. Unfortunately, Mr. Fatani only got to about 40, what was it, 43, 49 kilograms. That's really difficult to... So Which would have been equivalent to 343,000 bees. Dang. So he had to just basically stand on a scale and just kind of hope they came to him and hold still? Yeah, you, I guess the trick is to attract the queen. Uh, right, and when the queen comes, the rest come. And he said, "What derailed him is partway through the queen left." Mm. See, that's how I got my wife to fall in love with me. Um, I got her mom to like me. <laughs> so I like connected with her mom. I she I got her laughing a few times. I was very polite. I said things that most teenage boys don't say, like "Thank you, ma'am" and stuff like that. Boom, and I was in with the queen bee. Shortly after that, just a mere six years later, her daughter started to like kind of like me a little bit. That's the long game. Yeah, that was trust the process. Uh, you look at these pictures and it's absolutely terrifying. He's just covered in bees. There's not like a bee suit. He's not like in a net in, in like a, a a quarantine suit, like where these bees can't sting him. Or his like a face is open. His his arm forearm from the forearm to the hand is open. Uh, he's just got covered in bees. I don't know if he's not getting stung or if he's just like someone who doesn't feel pain or has been stung so many times it just doesn't affect him anymore. Whatever it is, he said he loves bees so much he wants to try it again under better circumstances and hopes the queen bee does not fly off. You are two for five. Let's see if you can... I imagine the queen bee went to the left, to the left, and then all the bees went with her to the left. Okay. All right. I see what you're doing there. So, but please don't ever get to thinking that queen bee's irreplaceable. You must not know a mean. You must not know a mean. He can get another bee in a yeah. minute. Don't bees love lemonade? I don't know. It's pretty sweet. Okay. Um, kilt race. You said no. Survey says yes. Sorry about that. And where was this broken? In Cleveland? In Cleveland. In Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland breaks Guinness World Record with largest kilt race. There were 2,700 runners gathered on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, because why on St. Patrick's Day? I guess just to throw it in the face of the Irish. I'm sure the Irish cared a whole bunch about what was going on in Cleveland. <laughs> the previous record was set in Ontario in 2012 with 1,764 runners. So they almost beat it by 1,000 runners. So people in Ireland are like, what are people in New York doing? And then people in Scotland are like, we don't care about Cleveland. Why are they running in our kilts? Why are you appropriating all our cultures <laughs> to do these ridiculous things that we don't even do over here? And this is coming from a culture who throws logs as a sport. <laughs> the Irish, though, here's what I, I saw a tweet like, 
sorry, may not be PC, right? But, but essentially someone from Ireland saying like, or no, someone talking about the Irish saying, so glad they don't care that we appropriate their culture every year, right? On the same day every year. And, and several Irish people replied to it, like, basically, we're all drunk. We don't care. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's it. So you ended up two for six. Not your best showing. Not my best. But this is a hard game. That, that was much harder this 10 than the last one. Yeah, um, but I love Guinness World Records, but they are also, like, super maddening. Like, who <laughs> could I do a, um, what, like, most people in a banana suit race? Like, where, what's the limit? Like, who decides, okay, that's Guinness worthy, and that's not, a kilt is Guinness worthy. Sure. Would, kilt race. Would a Komodo race be Guinness worthy? I imagine. Now I had a proposal for you. We had a, we had a Guinness World Record segment, and I thought we should try to get one, right? And yeah. I thought the the only one that we could possibly do is the longest period of silence during a podcast. I think we could get that that world record. We just have to give Guinness a shout out and just say, hey, we're going to attempt this record. How uh, you know? How could we do this? And we, I'm ready to start right now. We could do it. I mean, I could sit here silent for as long I'm as I'm trying we need to. to get you to stop talking right now. Right but I'm now. saying, no, I could do it. I could, I could just sit You're here and not be, doing it. No, no, but I'm saying I could. I could sit here silently with the best of them. You know what I mean? Like I could just sit here and not talk at all for as long as you needed me to. And, and then go. I could just what go with what? Like I can go whenever we need to. Yeah. You know, I'm really good at that. Like I think over almost a year, we've almost done this for a year. I think it's been well established that I know when to rein it in, hold back. And let you have the floor and talk, right? I mean, I don't have to be talking all the time. And I think I'm really good at that. And I think I'm getting better and better as the show goes on. And as we get closer as a podcast team and stuff. And I feel like if we could just, you know, keep it going a little bit more, I'll get even better at it. And I feel like I can just... Seriously, one time we were in a car, right? And my dad wanted to play the silent game. I was silent for like the entire car ride. It was amazing. It was super impressive. I think we were going to see a movie. I think it was one of the DC movies or something like that. Not necessarily one of the good ones, not like one of the Batman movies, but maybe one of the bad ones, which there's a plethora of them bad ones, right? Oh, you you saw Captain Marvel recently, right? Me? Yeah, you saw Captain Marvel, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. good, right? Uh, uh, my wife and I saw it. Okay. We dropped the kids off at your house. That's exactly correct. Went and saw a movie. Yes. And then we flipped that. We reversed it. Yes. You dropped your kids off at my house. Uh-huh. And then, then, then you saw the movie that we saw. Yeah. Did you like it? I, yeah. I, what I liked most was the theater. It had these super, like, comfy lounger chairs. Oh, yeah. Your feet go up. Mm-hmm. I, it was, if the movie were not as good, I would have definitely fallen asleep. Right. I love that theater, and it's it's amazing that we put any of our money away for retirement with that theater so close. <laughs> it's like a two-and-a-half-minute drive from my house. Oh, it's great. And it's not that expensive. I, sh- I want to spend every Saturday there, but they would get me with the popcorn and the drink, man. That's how they get you. I bring in sunflower seeds. What? Uh, I know. Bad Anthony. No. Uh, no, but yeah, Captain Marvel was good. I think it was like... Oops, sorry. It was uh, it was your typical really good Marvel movie. Like, it's going to please 85% of the people who see it. You want to learn more about the character. There's obviously some questions and plot holes, but like, you ignore those because it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we were talking about this during the week, how DC has just been completely outclassed by Marvel yeah. in the theater. 
So comics, it goes back and forth. I think it's pretty even when it comes to comic book fans and comic book readers. Yeah, I think it's it, split fifty fifty almost, and maybe even more DC. leaning DC. At least, at least I know when like I was growing up as a kid, like DC was was just way better than Marvel. Well, it's, it's Batman, Batman, and, and it's Superman. Superman. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Batman was huge, right? You had the cartoon Batman. and But I think, I think honestly, I feel like the two biggest superheroes right now are Batman and Spider-Man. Okay. And, but I think Batman is so much more popular than the other DC characters that it feels really one-sided. It's really a top-heavy... Yeah, uh, it's... DC is, is Duke. And, uh... Uh... Marvel is uh, is the uh, the Josh Hart Villanova team. Kind of hitting the Wayback Machine on a <laughs> very obscure reference there, but I think I see what you're getting at. And what? But even if you don't have the strongest cast of characters necessarily to draw from, like DC, the Batman movies are always going to do great. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with Ben Affleck in there, there's at least some. Uh, Batman is a very appealing character. Bruce Wayne is, yeah. and. I mean, say what you want about Martha and all that stuff, whatever. What was that? Martha. What'd you say? <laughs> but no matter what, you no matter who's in the Batman suit, Batman is always going to be an intriguing character, right? Yeah. And what Marvel has done so well in these movies is they have taken the time to establish every single character. Mm-hmm. Every single character you see in the Avengers movies, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever it is, even when you're getting all of them together in these huge... Uh, collabos, you're still, you know the characters, you you know their background, you know what motivates them, you know what drives them. Yeah. Where DC kind of dropped the ball is they only did that with a handful of characters after they all got together. Right. Also, like I, I totally agree with that. Uh, also, though, like the, the Marvel movies, they just don't take themselves as serious. Like I, you almost have to feel a little depressed as you watch a lot of these DC movies. And even, like, the colors, right? Like, it's just a darker movie, yeah. right? And DC's always been famous for that. Like, the yeah. Batman comics are always dark it's, and feel real and visceral. And, and it, yeah, it's true to the comics, but I think it makes a better comic than it does a movie, yeah. right? When, when you have time to really engross yourself in a comic versus you have two hours, right? And you want to be as entertained as possible in those two hours. Yeah, people don't don't go to a superhero movie to be introspective about the psychological effect of losing a parent early in childhood and the way that makes you see violence later in your life and stuff like that. That's not what we're doing. The brooding superhero is not like the 2019 draw, right? I I just, I, I think Marvel's got the formula down and not everyone is a home run, but... But most of them are, you know, and it's just, it's there. You walk away thinking that was a fun movie and you may not think about it much afterwards, but you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it enough to go see the next one. Right. And that's what, and Marvel's also done a really good job of intertwining all of their movies together. Yeah. And DC just hasn't quite found a way to do that. Like Aquaman didn't feel connected to anything that was going on in the other movies at all. Mm -hmm. It's all very separate. And that's fine to do with an origin story like you did with Captain America, First Avenger, with Iron Man. They're all separate. They haven't met each other yet. Different timelines, whatever. They're all separate. But they connect them in all these small little ways. Yeah. Right? And, and Marvel does a great job at that. And everything feels like one long story, one long movie. While DC feels like a bunch of just things thrown at the screen at once. You know? Yeah. Like one-offs. Oh, and also DC, it's like you were saying, it's super top-heavy, right? So you have a, a, a Batman and Superman... And then you have Aquaman. And, like, Aquaman's cool. I haven't seen the movie, but it seems cool. But it's, it's like... It's fun. It's one of those where you go and watch it with, like, zero expectations yeah. and come out pleased, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. then, like, I couldn't even name the other 
three members of the Justice League other than Wonder Woman, right? There are more? I don't know. Maybe. The Flash? Okay, yeah. But it's like, yeah, you, you we don't have their movies yet. We don't yeah. have their... Even though you may know their backstory from other projects that you, right. or your other, other films or shows, but... And the thing... One of my favorite TV shows ever is a DC TV show, Arrow. Arrow, yeah. I love that show. But what did it do? It did what Marvel did. It went deep into the history mm. of the characters and established the characters on a really deep level, and you felt like you could connect with them. So even though they're doing ridiculous things, like wearing a green hood with a, with grease paint over his eyes and like shooting people with arrows while they're shooting guns at him, yeah. right? it's ridiculous. But you connect with the characters on an emotional level, and you understand the character and their motivations early on, and you connect with that. And then all the crazy superhero stuff just becomes a backdrop for the deeper human and emotional story that's being told. Mm -hmm. That's lacking in the DC movies. That's why Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Batman Rises. Dark Dark Knight Knight Rises. Rises. Those movies were so good because you got to get every little piece of Batman's journey and you connected with him on a strong level. But DC can't do that because they're so far behind. Yeah, They can't catch up. Marvelous. Bad ending. Ugh. Terrible ending. Bat ending? Bat ending? Worse ending. Oh. That was worse. Into the spider worse. 